Like I said, this is, uh, this is teaching number seven. We're in commandment number six. So if you have your Bible, this is going to be a long read, so buckle up. This is Exodus uh, 20, verse 13. You ready? It's going to take a while. You shall not murder. Done. Period. Four words, right? Four words. And if you uh, know the biblical languages of Hebrew or Greek, in Hebrew, in which it was originally written, it's just two words. No murder. If you have an older translation of the Bible, like the King James Version, it would be thou shalt not kill. Well, this is pretty straightforward. In Hebrew, the word is rasha or rasa, and it means don't murder. That's why if you have an older translation, King James is the only one that has thou shalt not kill. Because in Hebrew, as you look at where this word is used throughout the scriptures, it's not about killing in general. We're going to be looking at this commandment, which just seems straightforward, but it may have some implications you haven't thought about. But you need to know that it's a restricted term. In Hebrew, this means do not kill with premeditation. So all the other translations other than the King James have don't murder because that is the nuance, that's the sense. This word is not used in context of war or just punishment where the government in the nation of Israel is called to deal justly with those who do murder. So we need to think carefully about this term. Basically, don't kill with premeditation. Now, if you've been here for the series, Written on the Heart is about not just reading these rules and saying, if I follow these rules, uh, Jesus will accept me, because that's not the point. These were written to people on their wedding day, so to speak. God had called Israel, and the term that God uses concerning Israel is my bride. And on their wedding day, so to speak, he's delivered them out of Egypt. He's now going to live with them for centuries. He's going to bring them to the land of promise. God says, I want to relate with you. I bring you into covenant. That is an ongoing, long-lasting relationship based on promises and agreements. I'm going to be with you. You're going to be with me. And here's the terms. Here's what marriage to God. Here's what life with God looks like. And included in it, you have some things we should do last week. Honor your father and mother, positive. Then we have some things that are written in the negative but have a positive application. Do not murder means something in the positive sense. So we're going to look at that uh, this morning. Now, five questions we've been asking to get to the heart of a commandment. And, and those of you trying to learn to understand the Bible, I hope you've written these questions down because any law in the Bible, you can ask these questions to try to get a sense of what God is calling you to do and not do. So let's just ask them uh, again. The, the big question is, what am I supposed to learn? All scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching. A second Timothy says, so what am I supposed to learn from this? I think it's plain. God values human life. Embedded in the first of 613 of his, not rules, but ways of living, his teaching, his Torah, embedded in the early 10 is God valuing, we saw last week, valuing family, valuing mother, valuing father, and now valuing life. Why? Early in the story, Genesis 4, if you go back, Adam and Eve have children, Cain and Abel, brothers, and Cain kills Abel, 
murder, rasha, murder, premeditated. His brother made him mad because his sacrifice was acceptable to God. And somehow in his anger, he kills his own flesh and blood and God judges him. Why? Because God is the author of life. Yahweh is the author of life. He is life. In the commandments, we get the heart, the nature. If you want to know what God is like, you see it in the way God calls us to live. And because God is life, Genesis 1, he speaks into existence everything that is is right now. And then he creates, Genesis 1 and 2, creates man and woman in his image, breathes into them the breath of what? Life. We're not like any other creature in the sun. There is a uniqueness. There's a specialness to humanity. And so God says, don't take life flippantly. I'm the author, and so I'm gonna make the rules. Now, that's the first question. What are we supposed to learn from this? God values human life. The second thing is connected with it. Question number two, what did this mean to ancient Israel? What did the law mean to them? Before I look at me or I look at the words of Jesus, what did it mean to them? Because God's speaking to a real people in a real place with like a real life. And how are they supposed to apply it? I think we see it if we read all of Genesis 20 and 21. I'm sorry, Exodus 20 and 21. That there are restrictions on when and why you take life. Uh, The reason that it, it, it shouldn't be translated thou shalt not kill, is because that would be an apparent contradiction if you read Exodus 21. Just look in your Bible. I'm not going to throw it on the screen. Just look in your Bible. It's like a page away. For me, it's on the same page. Exodus 21 and verse 12. Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. Verse 14. If anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Now, Exodus 21 does not give every scenario, but you need to see this. In the framework of what God has written, he says there are restrictions. This is what it meant to ancient Israel. Remember, they have no government. They've been under Egyptian rule, and Egypt had its own way of life and death, and now Yahweh says, you're my people, I brought you out, I have saved you. To be a saved and rescued people means you treat life seriously. And I'm restricting when and why anyone can take a life. Now, this stirs up a hornet's nest in today's culture when we think about what it means and when or how or why one can take a life. Now, because this is one message fit in a short time in one gathering, we can't explore all of them. I'm going to explore a little bit, but we can't explore the idea of just or holy war. We can't explain in this teaching, in this gathering, all the nuances of whether a follower of Jesus can or should be in the military. All of those are honest questions, and frankly, the community that of Jesus' followers isn't on the same page when looking at texts like these. But what we do see is what it meant to ancient Israel is in the Exodus 20 and 21, he did allow for certain things that would cause harm within the larger community so you would take the guilty person and they must pay 
the ultimate price. At least for ancient Israel, it's right there in the text. Now, the third question, because this is going to start up like, well, is God vindictive? Is God mean? Does God want eye for an eye? We ask all five questions, because if we don't ask the five, we're going to get a false view of what God is like. So we're supposed to learn the value of human life. God values it. We know that God restricts the idea of taking of life. Why did God give it? That's a hard one to answer, to be quite honest. But I do know this from the larger context that no Israelite could decide that he had the right to end someone's life. And here's, here's where I get this. And this is a huge point. Don't miss this. Look back to Exodus 20, verse 2. I am Yahweh your God who brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. The context where God tells us who has the right to take life is the author of life himself. You see, what this is, uh, this is not a negative command where he's going to allow some people to be punished ultimately. It's a positive command if you see the big picture. There's only one person in all the universe that gets to decide the restrictions on life and death, and it is not Moses, and it's not Joshua, and it's not you. You and I, according to Yahweh in the 10 words, the 10 teachings, the Torah, the 10 commands, God alone gets to narrow the field. That means no individual can say, well, you don't understand my circumstances. No one individual gets to decide who takes a life. Yahweh is the one who decides. So the, these laws aren't evil. They're actually helpful. Within the community, there's going to be conflict. Where there are relationships, there is conflict. Would you agree? And unfortunately, not everyone's on the same page in terms of morality and God. Not everyone's in tune to his heart. Not everyone's following his ways. So if you get, take a group of people, as good as they say there are, evil will show up. And it will manifest itself in all sorts of evil ways. And so God in his grace says to the community, life is precious and I authored it. Therefore, I am saying who and when life can be taken, no one gets to decide that on their own. Now, I'm going to get to that in a minute because it has huge ramifications for how we live today. And if you don't believe me, just tune in for the next few moments. All right, question number four. What does this reveal about God's heart? Remember, all scriptures God-breathed and profitable for teaching because it shows us the heart of God. It shows us what his heart is like. What do we learn about God? We learn that life is precious. If you look at the order of the command, Steve was saying last week in, in a really, really solid uh, teaching, if you haven't listened to it, I recommend you go online and, and, and listen online or, or download our podcast. But he tells us about the order of it. Let's just look at them in order. The first two commands are, are base. I'm God. There's no one like me. Serve me alone. Don't make idols. So God calls us to an exclusive life-giving relationship with himself. So the base of all the commands is that it's about faithful relationships. So from there's no other God like me to make no idols, it's don't misuse my name, carry my name, represent me right. 
Remember, the goal of Israel was not just to be a people with a place, but they were to be a city on a hill. They were to be a light to the nations. If people want to know what God is like, they're supposed to look at Israel as a community and say, wow, they have it together. What's different? And it's not them. It's their God. And God's ways were to make God attractive as people lived it out. So, so follow God. Don't make idols. Carry his name. Don't bring the name of God down. And part of the way that we carry his name is to keep his day holy. We follow in the rhythm of God, the rhythm of work, the rhythm of rest. We keep the Sabbath because we recognize I'm not a machine and I'm not called to produce 24-7. No, God made me for worship and joy, so I stop. All of that makes sense. Then it flips to the commands that are about community life. Those are about us and God. But community life, the first one, like Steve said last week, was that we honor mother and father. God's path of blessing is in family. God gave us a tight-knit community of people to pour out his blessing. It doesn't always work out that way, does it? (laughs) Sometimes family is just jacked up. But God's plan is to pour out blessing. So side word on that, if you grew up in a very messy, popular word today, dysfunctional, as, anyone, as if anyone's really functional. But, but, but if, if you grew up in, a, in an unhealthy environment, here's the good news. Honor your father and mother. You can follow the Lord Jesus, and, and if God graces you with kids, you can be the father and mother. You could be the aunt or uncle. You could be the nephew. You could be the cousin. You could be the person that changes the tide. You don't have to react in a way that other people did. You don't have to respond in the way that your family did. You can be full of the Spirit and now honor God by showing what real family should look like. You see, God can do something in your generation and the generations to follow you that break the cycle of of death and destruction in your path. But right after family, look at the order. Right after the Sanctity, the beauty of family is the beauty and sanctity of life itself. Of the product of mother and father. Because everyone who dies came from someone. So it's not just about that person, not just about that life. But life is more interconnected than we want to admit. So the taking of one life inappropriately, out of God's bounds... Not only is it a disruption to the life that God breathed into them, but it affects mom and dad and it affects the entire family. And so God's heart is to pour out blessing and we need to know that life is precious. All right, all of that is common sense. I don't think I've stirred up anything yet, right? It's just like, okay, we get that. Now let's get to Jesus because we always ask ourselves, What does this mean in terms of our New Testament situation? In light of Jesus, Jesus speaks to the Ten Commandments. He talks about them all. And Jesus' teaching is the heart of God. You want to know what God thinks about those commands? Jesus brings light to everyone. So what does Jesus say about no murder? It's actually more scandalous and more complicated than we would want to admit. Matthew 5, I'm going to throw it on the screen so you can just focus. Turn in your Bible, write a note, or just look at the screen. Matthew 5, 21 through 24, Jesus reflecting on the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus in Matthew 5 says, I'm not here to abolish the law, but I'm going to fulfill it. 
Not one word, not one iota, smallest little article, smallest little letter in the alphabet. Not one little iota is going to disappear from the law until I, I fulfill it. And then he starts to work through the commands. And look what he says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, speaking of Exodus, you shall not murder, and he quotes it, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's Exodus 21. Those who murder will have judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Hold on. Jesus lumps in. Murder, which most of us would agree is a bad thing. Every civil society on the planet has a sense of justice about the needless taking of life. That's base level. But Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. The commandment wasn't just keeping people from killing people. You missed the heart of it. The heart of it is that every single one of us is going to be tempted to act out of anger. So Jesus pulls in, of course don't murder, but for the rest of us, that that's not our predisposition, and thankfully most of you are not murderers. I'm very encouraged by this. I'm very, very encouraged. But that doesn't mean that we're fulfilling the heart of the command. How do we deal with anger? This is where it gets personal. I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister Raka is answerable to the courts. You're not just allowed to speak evil words against someone. If anyone says you fool, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus does not mince his words because he knows us. He knows it's easy to say, well, I'm better than so-and-so, right? Have you ever found yourself pitting yourself to God versus somebody else? We're just so like second grade. Like, you know, it's, we're just like, you know, I, well, God, I know I'm not good, but I'm not as bad as. And so Jesus gets to the heart of it in the community where we're called to honor parent, honor family, honor one another. We are going to dishonor people by taking our feelings of pain and hurt, which could be valid and real and even justifiable, but then acting on it. And Jesus says the heart of the commandment is that there will be times in your life and mine where we will want to take someone out in our mind, in our heart. We will want evil towards them. We will not want the heart of God. How many of you know that the heart of God is grace? The heart of God is forgiveness. The heart of God is love. The heart of God is the second chance. The heart of God is good. But then we say, God, you don't understand. They're not and God says to us, anger is something that will lead us on the path away from the heart of God. So what does Jesus say to do? Interesting. He says, leave. Look at what he says, verse 23. Therefore, if you're, if you're at the gathering at 9 a.m., because we have no altar and we're not killing any animals, okay? If you're at... If you're offering your gift at the altar, which is worship, and there, remember your brother or sister has something against you. Leave. Wow. Now, don't leave and never come back to church. No, 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 no. Catch the whole drift. 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Worship is important. Worship has value. Worship is necessary for us. First, though, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You may not be a murderer. Okay, most of us are not. But you know what? We can stab someone with our tongue. I've never stabbed someone. This is an honest confession. I have never taken a knife and stabbed someone, but I have pierced people with my words. I never knocked someone over the head and found a ditch and covered them over. But I've thought about how to take people out from the direction that they're going and using my influence to remove them from this situation. I can be a manipulator in my heart. I can do evil in my heart. And Jesus is saying, of course, don't murder them. But what about that anger? And what about those feelings? And what about the how do I get them back and get away with it? And still worship and still look good. And Jesus says, oh gosh, worship to God is important. Remember, the Ten Commandments are about right relationship with God and the way I know I'm right with God is I am right with you. If I am not right with you, I'm not fully right with God. You can't take the first four and say, I'm gonna focus on those and chuck the final six. All of them are important and there are more about how we live one to another than how we relate to God. Intriguing. Four about us and God, six about us and each other. What is that saying? It's saying we need a little help. We need a little help on, on our relationships with other people. Now, if this has stimulated something, this is good because Jesus is speaking to us here and now. We're not bent towards murder, but we can be bent towards acting on our anger. Now, hear me. You've been hurt. You've been wronged. In this sense, you are the victim is it okay to feel anger? Absolutely. Is it okay to hate evil? Absolutely. Is it okay to think, this should not have happened to me, this is wrong? Absolutely. All of those are right emotions. I'm not saying bottle it up or just pretend. The worst thing a Christian could do is say it didn't happen, didn't happen, all is well. It did happen. It shouldn't have happened. It wasn't the heart of God. It was evil. It was actually from a different family, and kingdom all together. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to hear me, my friends. To feel that way is to be human. To act that way in light of the fact that I've been rescued by God. To act out on that anger, forgetting that, that Jesus has forgiven me. To, to move out and say, I am right and I'm going to take you all the way. To ignore the grace that's been poured over me in my own ridiculousness is to miss the heart of the commandment. Because I have been saved, Israel had been saved from Egypt. Because they had been saved, Jesus says, now you can respond to your anger with love. Jesus' radical statement is go and be reconciled. You say, well, it's impossible. They're, they've passed away. You can be reconciled in your heart. It's impossible. You don't understand what, what happened was illegal and it would not be right. You can be reconciled in your heart as much as you can, Paul says. Make 
peace with everyone. And sometimes you can't to the extent you want to. And if, if they're, they're unrepentant and they don't care and they're blaming you, I totally get it. Please, I am not saying to those of you who've been hurt, so what, man up, be a Christian. I'm not saying that. Don't hear that. But what I am saying is we can use excuses to be angry at people when Jesus is saying, man, I've kind of shown you some love. And the way the world will believe that you, the church, the Christian community, the Jesus followers, are the right way of living, the way the world's gonna know is by how we respond to our pain and our hurt. Do we respond with eye for eye or do we respond with love? Now, we haven't even gotten to the touchy subject yet. But Jesus says, go. Pause on worship and make peace with that person. Now, why is this so important? You say, like, Jose, why would Jesus couple anger and murder? That seems to be ridiculous. It's because Jesus knows the source of anger and the source of murder. John 8, Jesus is teaching and he's talking to people who are the religious leaders in the day and are not his followers. The top Jewish leaders did not believe Jesus was the Messiah and they were trying to kill him, literally. Jesus, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. God comes to the planet in the person of Jesus and he's showing the way of God and the very leaders of God's movement are trying to kill him. You think you've been judged? You think you've been maligned? You think you've been accused? Think of Jesus. Now, what does Jesus say? If God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable, and this is his reasoning, you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Ouch. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a what? Murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Look, look at what Jesus says. Don't murder. Why? Because that comes from a family that's not from the family of God. The family of God, the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, our life. Who's the father of murder? The devil himself. And so what Jesus is saying to these leaders, and he's saying to us, the reason that we don't respond in our angry moment and lash out, the reason we respond with life and with love is because it shows who we're connected to. Our Father, who is life and love. And when we respond in the way those leaders were, trying to get vengeance on Jesus, they prove by their actions who their father really is. And Jesus says, it's not from the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's from the devil. And that is the devil's way, and that is the devil's heart. And so we're pitted with this choice. Whenever we're, we're hurt, whenever someone comes against us, am I gonna respond like my father? Or am I gonna respond like that father. 
And that father is a murderer from the beginning and a liar. And that's why John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come to give them life and life to the full. My friend, you will be crossed. You will be hurt. That's just part of the human experience. But part of do not murder, part of no murder, is to deal with our own anger. You see, the culture of death comes from a different family. And there is, there's a culture of life, and you just look at the words of Jesus. They are the culture of life. You look at the words of culture, and if you really pin it down, you realize that we live in a culture of death. We are not living in a culture that promotes life. Now, this is where it's going to get tricky. I told you. Two applications to this. The first one will be really gnarly and will affect a few. The second one will be equally gnarly, but it's going to affect us all. Okay? So let's just do those in turn. I'm telling you, the first one is harder. We live in a culture that does not value life. Why? What are the big discussions in the news right now, the controversial issues? One is war. It's in the news. Who's blowing up who and how many innocent people are caught in the middle? We live in a culture that promotes death, not life. Now, do not hear me making an anti-military statement or I'm simply saying we live in a culture that promotes death. And we talk about it all the time and we justify it all the time. Secondly, we see in our culture the issue of preborn life. Now we're going to step on the toes. But I told you it was coming. Thirdly, and we don't have time for it, we're living in a culture, we're living in a state, we're living in a country that is promoting end-of-life freedom. We live in a culture, and I want you to catch this full circle, in the Ten Commandments, Yahweh alone dictates the parameters of life and death. God is promoting life. He's saying very few instances, very few. I promote life. We live in a culture that promotes the individual's right to death. We live in a culture that says you, and, and frankly in America, it is legal for you to make the decision the question we need to ask ourselves, is that the heart of God? Was it ever the heart of God to give every single individual the power of life? Is that the heart of God? It may be our legal right. It may be our, our cultural bent. But are we, as the people of God, going to follow the cultural bent? Or are we going to follow the heart of God? And this is where the clashing of kingdoms. So hear me. Abortion is, for the past 30 to 40 years, been a prevalent fight and discussion in the public marketplace. And I'm not here to fight this morning, but I am here to say that the statistics bear this to be true. Most of the abortions that happen in America are not life and death medical issues for the mother. They're not. There are cases where that happens. Most of the abortions in America are voluntary and have to do with status in life and the ability to raise that child. 
So most of the decisions are being made not out of absolute life and death for the mother, but rather of convenience, timing. The situation isn't right. I didn't expect it. Now, please hear me. I am not here to condemn anyone. And if you leave here with a guilt trip from the church, you've missed the heart of what I'm trying to say. You've, You've missed the heart of God. What I'm trying to say is that our culture is allowing for the individual to decide where you see in Scripture God is the author of life. And it's not for us to take that onus and to take that right on ourselves. I just want to point out the difference in kingdoms. I want to point out the difference in cultures and plead with you to decide to follow the way of God. The way of Jesus is life. The way of our culture is you have the right to terminate life and we give that freedom to you and to contradict your personal freedom is malicious for anyone else. And I say, oh my gosh, we've missed the heart of God as a culture. We've missed the heart of God. Now, the scriptures do not particularly deal with abortion by word because abortion was not an issue in their day, just like the Bible doesn't deal with the internet. It wasn't an issue in their day, and so abortion was not an issue in their day, but the scriptures do lay out a theology of life. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full, and so To choose the way of Jesus is to choose the way of life. So what we have to do is we have to evaluate what is my culture saying in light of what Jesus is saying and where where are they aligned and where are they the same and where are they misaligned and then who am I going to choose? Now, if you think this isn't an issue for the church, um, then you're sadly mistaken. Some statistics that you need to know, they're not encouraging. 70% of women who have an abortion, this is a study done last November by Lifeway Research and CareNet of more than 1,000 women who'd had an abortion, 70% claim Christian religious preference. So seven out of 10 before having it claimed to be Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical, one of the stripes, but Christian. 43% attend church at least monthly or more. It was 20 some odd percent was weekly. Of all the thousand plus that had an abortion, 250 would be coming every week to church. 43 of 100 would be coming to church at least once a month. 64% believe church members are more likely to gossip than help. That's the troubling statistic. The perception is if you have an unplanned pregnancy that you're going to be judged and talked about So, 7% discuss their abortion with anyone. So basically, the disparity shows this is a real common struggle within those who call themselves to follow Jesus. But unfortunately, ladies, we as a church have done a poor job of extending the grace of Jesus and the love of God and the willingness to help. And so we've created dichotomy, come to worship, But when it comes to a life decision, I'm not going to talk about it because I'm no longer going to be welcome here. This is the discouraging statistic in my view. But if Jesus is the author of life and 
and the scriptures are the culture of life, that means loving God means loving my neighbor. Remember, God said, love God, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. So we must become a community of people that doesn't just talk about theoretical pro-life. Frankly, like, I don't know if signs help. I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if boycotting and picketing helps. I do know that love helps. I cry every week, but this is like a real one. Because this is like, this is life and death. So what do we do? Loving God means loving neighbor. That means we must be a community that is on the forefront of displaying love and grace and the courage to say, I don't understand your circumstance, but if I can be of any help to you in your moment of need, I'm here. And I'm not gonna post something idiotic and I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm here. It means considering adoption and foster care. The Reicharts both adopt and, and have fostered so many children. We applaud that. We support that. Brandon and Janelle have fostered many kids and adopted Mason, one of the first, I think if not the first boy that they brought in for foster care. And we promote that, we encourage that, we support that. And, and uh, Kenny and Kimberly adopted little Parker, and they're about to adopt a second here that's going to be born in July. And they're working alongside a birth mother who is not able to raise this child at this point. But rather than saying, I can't believe you're giving up your child. Which is idiotic. We're not to judge. You don't know what it's like to be pregnant at 16. <laughs> so get off the political bandwagon and just love people. Really. So to really love means that we step in and serve and sacrifice and give with nothing expected in return. Jesus died and rose again knowing you would most likely reject him. That's mind-blowing. Radical love. Yet Jesus dies anyway. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not that we're great, it's that we're broken and that God is great and so he steps in. So hear me, if you, and there are people in this room who, statistically speaking, I don't know of any personally, but I'm saying there's some who've had an abortion. Look, God's grace is bigger than your past and that moment in your life does not have to define you. You're a daughter of God, you're a child of God. God's grace has been given to you. And like Jesus says to everyone who has stumbled, get up, go 
and sin no more. You get a new chance. You get a new hope. You get a new future. And so please don't feel judged here. But do know this, that the culture we're living in is promoting death when Jesus is promoting life. And so in that sense, not in the political stripe, not in the jargon, in that sense, we are always and will always be pro-life. Not as an anti-statement, but as the heart of God. All right, that was, um, that was a harder one? Duh. The second one, I think, is more applicable to most of us, and that is anger. That's anger. And Jesus says, yeah, you don't murder, but what about this emotion? And all I want to say to you this morning is it is not okay to respond in any way you want when it comes to anger. And the heart of God, do not murder, is that you'll take that anger and you'll submit it to the leadership of Jesus and you'll say, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit that you have given me, show me how to respond in love. Show me how not to retaliate. Show me how to turn the other cheek. Show me the way of God. And it will be hard every time. But this is the way of Jesus. So let me just ask you a question. And we want to give you some space. This is not a small thing. Uh, Just like murder is not a small thing. So we want to give you some space to, to deal with it. Is there someone that you need to make peace with right now? As we pause and as we pray, release them to God. Is there someone you need to make peace with? Jesus says, get up. Go out. Make the phone call. Set the appointment. Get eye to eye if you can. And let the spirit of Jesus bring some healing to that situation. Whereas most of us would never kill someone, we're bent towards anger. And Jesus says, It's not my way. Are you holding on to pains in your past and not extending forgiveness and dealing with bitterness? It's toxic. It's toxic to you. You do not win when you you hold on. You don't win. And by the way, it doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't change them. It only hurts you. But Jesus is here. And the gospel is good. And he wants to save you. Lord, we, uh, we confess that we live in an environment that takes life for granted and is less precious than you designed. Spirit of Jesus, we invite you to come bring healing to those who have been hurt who have hurt, who will hurt, basically save us all. We pray.